Do you ever get stuck in a rut? And on one hand, it feels really good because there are no surprises and nothing ever changes. And on the other hand, it feels really terrible because there are no surprises and nothing ever changes. Today, I'm going to switch things up with the podcast from its usual format to something a little different. I've been thinking about my first podcast episode about my original intent to be vulnerable with you. And I realized that it's time I was a little vulnerable with you. And what could be more vulnerable than sharing both my thoughts and my art with you? This entire episode is dedicated to looking behind the curtain. You can expect everything from journal voice memos. Is this thing on? To an original short story written by myself. A short story by Carrington Schaefer. To music. La 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 la. To podcast outtakes. My name is... Oh dear. Seth and I blogged about our entire nun... Oh my gosh. Why can't I just speak correctly? Oh. Okay. Seth and I blogged about our entire nine-month trip around the country on our Trava blog. Trava blog. Yes, that's it. Trava blog. Ugh. Some days are good recording days and other days... I'm not ditching the life story interview takeaway outro format. I'm just switching things up a little so no one gets bored and I don't get too comfortable. Because that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. So I get a little uncomfortable. Today, I'm opening the voice memo vault. In case you missed my very first episode, I've been voice memoing on my phone since 2008. So by now, I have hundreds of entries. Mostly, I just talk about stuff in my car. Sometimes it's profound. Most of the time, I'm just externally processing. Because I find that if I don't externally process about the things I'm thinking from time to time, I feel kind of stuffed full of thoughts. Like the feeling you get after eating your eighth pizza pizza. Voice memoing is a way for me to get things out before I emotionally throw up all over people. Listening through them, I realize that I process through a lot of my anxiety, insecurity, and fear. And today, I'm going to pull you into my inner sanctum, where I tell it all. I hope that in putting it out there, you find that you're not alone. Tuesday, February 18th, 2014. Feeling really down today. Kind of like, what's the point? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And whereas I feel like I'm a creative person and that's where my, a lot of my giftings are, I feel like I do it to prove that I'm valuable, which always tends to be disappointing for me. Bear in mind, I'm in kind of a slump. I think a lot of my issues are fear-based. I'm so damn afraid to do anything. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing balance. I'm afraid of you know, this, I'm afraid of that, that people will feel bad for me. Maybe my worst fear should come true for just a second. We can't just be little sparks in an infinite universe, if that, that just die out and don't mean anything. Can't be all we're here for, that can't be the point. I want so badly to matter. I have to matter. I wanna make a difference and I don't know what it's supposed to look like and I don't want fear to get in my way and I don't want to prove that I'm worthy. I don't need to prove anything. Do I? 
Fish, an excerpt from a creative nonfiction short story by Carrington Schaefer. I've come to the conclusion that I don't really like fish. They're kind of creepy. I think it's something about those dead, motionless eyes that never blink that get me. Or perhaps it's the way they let poop hang out of their butts in long strings until they finally fall off, only to be lapped up by some other brainless fish. I can see the spark of cognition in other animals. Fish, however, I find to be soulless. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps post-mortem we'll all see schools of glorified fish bodies raised up from their toileted graves, winking at us with gloriously lidded, and perhaps even lashed, eyes. But I doubt it. Growing up, my parents weren't too keen on pets. To them, dogs were about as much work as another kid. Cats required a litter box, and someone willing to clean it, and rodents carried disease. But after enough whining from me about how all my other friends had pets, I finally wore them down to the nubs. They relented. Sort of. Now my dad is a paradox. On one hand, he was practical enough to not want a pet in the first place because of all the work it would require. On the other hand, he's a big dreamer, creating lofty inventions in his head that he never really had the energy or the capital to actualize. One of his most favorite dreams was to have a sort of indoor jungle paradise in the middle of his house. Think Swiss Family Robinson meets Casa Bonita. And that's my dad's dream. In church when I was little, I'd look over at him during the sermon, and in the margins of his notes, he'd be drawing up plans for a carburetor doohickey or an alternator woozy wutsy, or the plumbing-slash-irrigation system for this monster of an indoor garden of Eden. We always knew it would never happen. But my dad liked to talk, so my mom and both us kids just listened and let him dream. Sometimes it was fun to engage in the dream with him. I'd ask, Dad, if you had all the money in the world, how would you trick out your indoor garden? I'd see my father transform in front of my very eyes from the practical adult he had to be, To the kid I always knew he was, his eyes would dance, focusing on something far away in the distance as he described it. It always included some brightly colored birds that he'd trained to say clever things like, Well, shoot fire, or yo howdy, or just sitting pretty. Plants that snaked up the walls and hung down from tree limbs, and streams that gurgled up from some unknown water source and babbled over stones, creating little pools you could swim in that held all varieties of fat fish that brushed up against your legs as you waded. So when my dad told me I could get a fish one day, I knew that, for him, it was a small compromise that appeased my want of a pet, as well as provided a little taste of his slice of paradise. My dad took me down to the pet store and hand-on-neck steered me to the fish section. "'That's what I want, Dad!' I yelled, smearing my little kid goobied hands all over a tank containing cheery clownfish. I rapped on the glass. Fish darted to the farthest corners in an effort to escape my nine-year-old knuckles. "'Sweetie, those are saltwater fish. It's a real chore to keep those kinds of fish alive. Let's stick with fresh.' Looking around, I spotted another tank full of what looked like blue and orange lightning bolts. Nah, you don't want those. They die off pretty fast, my dad said. These are cute, I guess. I slumped towards a tank in which little puffy-bodied goldfish wiggled. 
They reminded me of the goldfish the incredible Mr. Limpet carried around in a mason jar for company. I imagined frolicking in the park, clutching a plastic fish-inhabited Gatorade bottle, my dad's equivalent to a mason jar. Yes, a goldfish. Classic. I looked expectantly at my dad, who shook his head. I think you better get one of these. He pointed to a tank, crammed, full of small, nondescript fish. The sign above it said, Feeder fish. Eight cents each. Dad! I whined, crescendoing the word and emphasizing the final D. Those are boring! Well, it's either those fish or no fish, he said, picking up a quarter he found off the floor. He inspected it over the tops of his 1980s goggle glasses. In the end, I didn't even get to choose my own fish. An employee just reached his net in and flipped one out. A sickly little dude with part of its front fin missing. Dad paid with the quarter he found. As far as he was concerned, he'd made money on the deal. I stared into the air and water-filled bag and sighed. I held it up to my left eye and tightly closed my right. The curvature of the bag distorted the fish's face, making its eyes look bigger than they were. I looked for any sign of cognition in those metallic saucers. They seemed to look at everything and nothing. The leftover 17 cents clanked in my dad's pocket. He whistled as he opened the car door for me. The bag kind of felt cold on my legs as we barreled home to a dusty, spidery fish tank that would need to be cleaned and filled before we let the bag float around in the water so the fish could acclimate to the new water temperature. My dad drummed on the steering wheel with his pointer fingers. I knew he was playing along to some Beach Boys tune in his head. The bag felt heavier and colder on my legs now. It felt like work just to support it. I watched the fish float swim at the top of the water. My mouth tasted like metal. I felt like a jailer and a prisoner all in one. And now for the music part. But first, a little backstory. When Seth and I first got married, we used to perform all the time around town. As I've mentioned before, he's a bang-up jazz pianist, and I accompany him by singing. Well, since then, life has happened, we had a baby, and we hadn't been doing much in the way of performing together. But a few months ago, a friend of ours, Colin Purser, who I had on the podcast about a month ago, asked us to sing at the Cavalcade Monthly Variety Show. Seth and I practiced and came up with this rendition of an absolute classic. Baby, can't you see I'm calling A guy like you should wear a warning It's dangerous, I'm falling There's no escape I can't wait I need a hit Baby, give me it You're dangerous I'm loving it 
taste of your lips, I'm on a ride. You're toxic and I'm slipping under the taste of a poison paradise. I'm addicted to you, don't you know that you're toxic? And I love what you do, don't you know that you're toxic? Steph and I were walking downtown during Farmer's Market, and we saw this guy standing on a corner singing his heart out and playing one of the outdoor downtown pianos. It sounded fine, but by no means was it professional quality. It wasn't perfect. Before I thought about what I was actually saying, I blurted out, I would never do that unless I sounded flawless. I have thought a lot about what I said then. And I've concluded that I was 100% wrong. That guy was singing because he obviously loved to sing. And even though it wasn't perfect, he was actually putting it out there, which was more than I was doing. We live in a culture where the flawless is praised. And here's the kicker. Flawless doesn't exist. We read magazines where every little blemish or hair or roll is either airbrushed out or pointed out and completely berated. We watch TV shows where every note is critiqued to death. 
After seeing all that, how can we hold the mirror up to ourselves and appreciate our imperfections? I want to help create a culture where it's safe to put ourselves out there, to be imperfect. I shared my voice memos with you because I want you to know that my life is more than the pictures on Instagram and our smiling faces on Facebook. It's also pain and insecurity and anxiety and happiness and joy. My short story isn't perfect. And I'm sure that if I sent it to editors tomorrow, they would mark it up one side and down the other with red pen. But I'm putting it out there because that's what I write like at this very moment. And I'll get better the more I practice, but in the meantime, I'm saying that it's okay to let others see my works in progress. I don't have the best singing voice out there, but I'm letting you hear it anyway. I'm choosing to become the guy on the corner unafraid to let others see the imperfect. Or at the very least, I'm taking a step in his direction. There's no such thing as perfect. Life is messy. Art is messy. Dear listener, welcome to my mess. My name is Carrington Schaefer, and thank you for joining me for another installment of Honestly, Dear Listener. Today's show was produced by myself and Seth Schaefer. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. I've shared my art with you. Now I want to see what you create. Post a picture or a video, whatever you want, on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you. And speaking of good art, check out our wonderful sponsors, Hoptocopter Films, on their website, www.hoptocopter.com. As always, thank you for listening. It's so encouraging for me to know that more people than just my mom and dad listen to this humble podcast. Join me in two weeks when our program continues.